Hey guys, so as you can see, this is the second episode releasing this week. If you haven't already, make sure to go check out the NFC North fantasy preview episode that released on Monday. This one, as you can see, is coming out on Tuesday. I originally planned to release the, both the episodes simultaneously, but then decided to release this one a day later on Tuesday. I will have my bold take on today's show as promised, and this will be a solo show previewing the NFC East for fantasy football in 2021. So I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to another edition of the Second and Bowl Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host, here with you as always. And in today's show, I'll be previewing the NFC East for fantasy football in 2021. This is a solo show, as I mentioned on the other podcast that released on Monday. Um, and so make sure to go check that one out if you haven't already. Uh, but this we in this one, we'll be previewing the NFC East for fantasy in 2021 after discussing some news. And I will also be giving my seventh bold take for this offseason. So once again, no guest for this show. Um, and like I mentioned on the prior episode, I'm going to be splitting the divisional previews into two episodes uh, per week where I split them up into each of the eight divisions. So we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. So this is the second out of eight. Again, make sure to check out the NFC North episode if you haven't yet. But yeah, today I'll be previewing the NFC East. So make sure to follow me on Twitter at Calvin underscore SGF if you haven't already. Follow the podcast at SGF pod. Um, and that way, that way you can get updates about the show. And just make sure to check your feed each and every Monday for a new episode. As you can see, this one releasing on Tuesday, um, a day later than the other. But so this is and this is the second episode that I recorded. So make sure to go check out the NFC North episode as well. All right, so let's get started with the show. Before we get going, there's just some news that I want to talk about. And I kind of just want to like put, I don't know, I kind of want to like tamp down the uh, worries about this news because I don't think this is very worrisome. Um, Cincinnati Bengals rookie wide receiver Jamar Chase uh, has reportedly struggled to gain separation against defensive backs during his first 10 days of training camp per Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. I am quoting the... Um, fantasy pros right up on that but again Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic uh, reports that Jamar Chase isn't showing as much separation as expected and has struggled to gain separation but I want to give my case to why I don't believe this is an issue and I don't think it's an issue for multiple reasons number one Jamar Chase the receiver has never been the type of guy to consistently separate from his defenders at an elite level he is good at it obviously he's a complete wide receiver but he is not that's not the trade he's known for what he is known for are his hands number one and number two his dominating ability his contested catch ability sort of maybe like a Kenny Galladay maybe not the best separator but great uh, at 50-50 balls great hands and I mean this is not necessarily surprising when you consider that fact Obviously, it may be a little surprising that he struggled, but the other reason I'm not worried is because last year we saw this with Jace's former LSU teammate, Justin Jefferson, working with the second team offense. I'm not putting too much stock into these camp reports. Jefferson was in the second team offense, and then by week three, he had broken out and was a clear wide receiver one the rest of the season. I'm not concerned for Jamar Chase. I think he's still an elite wide receiver. I think he will be involved right away. Maybe you'll need to wait a week or two, but this isn't causing me to bump him down in my rankings. I would definitely, definitely, definitely recommend drafting Jamar Chase. I have him currently as my wide receiver number 14 
for next year. So yeah, make sure to go draft him because he is going to break out. And um, I believe he will be a solid wide receiver too with upside for your team and only improving as the year goes along. So yeah, let's move on from that. I will give my bold take. And um, I think this one is a juicy one. It also involves a rookie. And I'm really excited for this because I feel like this this take about the Denver Broncos and their very easy schedule in the second half of next year, this really sets up their running back, Javante Williams, rookie running back for a potential mega breakout during the second half of the season. And before I start, I want to clarify that strength of schedule obviously is not everything at the beginning of the season. Things change drastically in ways that we can't predict, but I do believe partly because of the schedule and partly because of just the talent of Javante Williams, that he will be a top eight running back for the last six weeks of the fantasy season. So the Broncos have a week 11 bye, and um, but let's talk even before the week 11 bye. I want to talk about weeks nine through 17. Weeks nine through 17, the Denver Broncos play eight teams because they have eight different teams because they have the week 11 bye. Not a single one of those teams was outside above the bottom 16 in opposing rushing yards allowed per game last year. So basically all those teams, again, in the bottom 16 in rushing yards allowed. So they allowed the 16th most, they were a below average in that category. In all through weeks, nine through 17, the matchups, Eagles, Chargers, Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Broncos, and uh, before the Eagles, I forgot to mention the Dallas Cowboys as well in week nine. That is eight straight weeks of potential plus matchups as it is projected based on last year's stats. Again, uh, the allowed rushing yards per game. That is a major, major factor in this take. I feel like Javante Williams can have that second half takeover where he beats up on these defenses and really performs for your team. And even if you don't see it right away in weeks nine through 10, I could easily see a switch to Javante Williams from the Broncos coming after the bye week, a late season switch like what we saw with Jonathan Taylor last year, what we saw with Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Antonio Gibson, David Montgomery. And like Taylor and Montgomery, I think Javante will be primed to beat up on bad defenses. So yeah, I do think he'll be a top eight running back after the bye week. I think he'll start it off well against the Chargers, then go against the Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Chargers. I mean, just thinking about that, is really great. I mean, though all of those matchups are really advantageous for him and he can take advantage in a major way. So I think he's going to be a league winner for you. Javante is another guy that I recommend drafting. Currently my running back 22 in my rankings. He has a lot of talent. He's a great tackle breaker, good receiving back. He has the ability to potentially be a true three down workhorse late in the season in year one. And I think he will impact the team majorly, especially uh, late in the season. So, yeah, that's my take. Javante Williams will be a top eight running back after the bye in the last six weeks of the fantasy season. All right, so let's move on. We're going to do our NFC East preview. I've got four teams, obviously. The Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, and Washington football team. I'll answer three questions, big questions about each of these teams, and that'll be the show. So I hope you guys enjoy, and we will get started. All right, so let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, the Cowboys for regular football, had a disappointing season last year. They're definitely a team that is projected to bounce back. And part uh, a major part, the biggest factor in their disappointing season, besides uh, as well as their atrocious defense, was the injury to Dak Prescott, their star quarterback, the centerpiece of their offense, and the player who really 
has led their offense and would let it for the first few weeks and re- really admirably in which he was leading the league in passing yards, the number one fantasy quarterback from weeks one through, I believe it was four. Um, and then he got hurt in week five. But after that, the Cowboys offense kind of stalled out and their defense couldn't keep up. They finished six and 10. Um, now Dak is back. This wide receiver core is really, really good. And they still have Ezekiel Elliott, who coming off of five straight years of very heavy usage in the running game. So that begs the question, will Zeke still be Zeke? And I think for dynasty fantasy football purposes, selling Zeke right now is a good idea. I think he is due for a drop off sometime in the next two or three years. It's better to get out early than get out late. But for this year, he will be fine. He is having a strong training camp, maybe perhaps his strongest yet. Looks crisp, according to the beat writers. Looks like, I mean, he got a little worn down from last season, to be completely honest. His offensive line was decimated. Prescott was hurt. And it makes sense that a guy like Zeke would be worn down when uh, everyone's, and when the, the whole offense, the whole center, he's is not only the centerpiece of the offense, but the only piece of the offense that can be productive because, I mean, with the bad quarterback play, the wide receivers except Amari Cooper, weren't really consistently good. And even Cooper wasn't like a major problem for defenses in terms of stopping the offense as a whole. I think Zeke, though, for this year, because of the reports, he will still be Zeke. He may get a few less carries, but I think in favor of Tony Pollard, but I think what he gets fewer in carries, he makes up for an efficiency. Zeke has always been a solid efficiency back. But again, I mean, if the um, if team is wanting to get Tony Pollard involved based on what we saw last year. And I think they will, I think they uh, should. And I think they will get Tony Pollard involved. He will have more receptions probably than most years, a few more carries, but I think that only helps Zeke's efficiency and having another guy to be a change of pace really will help him get some rest because he's got a lot of tread on those tires, five straight years of insane workloads, some years bigger than others, but he's been very durable so far, he's had a lot of carries, um, and uh, but I think he'll still be Zeke for this year. I think you should still draft him. He's my current fantasy football RB4. Uh, so just, I mean, yeah, go get him at the number four overall pick if it's McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry going one, two, three. Next, I want to talk about the Cowboys wide receiver room. And the question, I mean, here, I've put on the note sheet, how should we approach the Cowboys wide receiver room? is an interesting one for sure with CD lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup in that room. It's tough to, I mean, it can be tough to judge, but I think I've got a way that I would be approaching it in fantasy drafts. And I think the guy you want in that wide receiver room is CD lamb. CD had a solid season last year, got close to a thousand yards, despite having again, terrible quarterback play um, for most of the year. Uh, lamb 74 catches, 935 yards and five touchdowns in his rookie year. That's a great rookie year. He showed the talent that he had in college. His just, he is a very, very well-rounded receiver gets open, dominates, catches passes and, uh, will get big plays. So he is currently my fantasy wide receiver 13. I think I would say he's the guy you want the guy with the highest upside. Although I think the guy maybe with the slightly higher floor is Amari Cooper Cooper with with good quarterback play without it he was still putting up numbers for fantasy getting a lot of receptions and he has the safer floor is why he's, he's my fantasy wide receiver 16 92 catches 1114 yards and five touchdowns for Amari Cooper last year Amari Cooper is a solid safe pick he will be happy with him as your wide receiver too and this offense can support two very good wide receivers since it's very pass happy very pass more pass first in recent years um and they've 
I mean, it's just high-powered in general. They're able to support CD, Amari, and Zeke all being elite or good, in my opinion, and living up to expectations. So CD is the guy to target in my eyes, but um, I also think Amari Cooper is a very viable target as well. And um, my rankings are actually like pretty much spot on with consensus. Both CD and Amari Cooper are one spot consensus higher than I have them. Um, That's probably just because I have Kenny Galladay ahead of, CD, which is not very consensus, not, not much of a consensus pick. Although I do have DK Metcalf lower, so there's that. Um, and then for Cooper, it's like Jamar Chase and Kenny are both ahead. But yeah, I mean, both these guys are guys that are good to draft in your fantasy fantasy league. CD with the upside, Amari with the safe floor. Lastly, I want to talk Michael Gallup. I think Michael Gallup, like Antonio Brown, I think they're both very similar players. I'll start off by saying that for next year in fantasy, because I mean, while, I mean, they're not similar players in play style, they will be similar in the fact that I just don't know if they have a ton of upside in their offenses. I trust the box offense a lot more to consistently get the ball to AB because it kind of depends on the game who Dak wants as his number three guy. And Michael Gallup can have a lot of inconsistent low reception games. So I just see Michael Gallup's upside is a little too capped for my liking. Michael Gallup is currently my fantasy wide receiver 48. So that's pretty low. I would say if, as I I'll check the consensus, I think that's about what the consensus says about him. He's wide receiver 45 consensus. So about the same. I don't hate Gallup at all, but I do accept the fact that like he, his upside is capped, but we should keep in mind 59 receptions, 843 yards, five touchdowns last year are very good numbers. Just two seasons ago, he had over 1,100 yards on 66 catches. He is a big play guy, even out of the slot. So this is not a guy that Dak Prescott will write out of the offense, but he is a guy who might be a little bit hard to trust game to game and won't have the weak winning upside to make up for it. Last question for Dallas. Which tight end, if any, should we target? This one's hard for me. I think Blake Jarwin is the one you want out of there. Um, out of that tight end room, if you're drafting one, although I'm not really particularly high on either one, I think Dalton Schultz is not the one you, you should draft. I don't, I, I think Darwin's the better player. And I think that he will, um, see more opportunity and targets and catches, but Schultz will chip in Jarwin's workload enough is to where I have him as the fantasy tight end 21, which is two spots lower than his fantasy pros consensus ranking. Although, I mean, it, when, when I think about that, like a lot of these guys, like especially Jarwin, like a lot of these guys that I mentioned, I have maybe a couple spots lower than their consensus. It just, I think of that as I have guys, breakout guys, potential, potential breakout guys who are ranked lower. Like for example, Kenny Gallaud and Jamar Chase for the wide receivers. And then for tight ends, like Gerald Everett and Jared Cook, two guys who are close behind him. I have ranked higher because I trust their breakout potential a little bit more. So I would say I'm about, uh, I would be happy with drafting Blake Jarwin around his ADP, but just don't love the upside with Dalton Schultz. It's not a guy I'm really targeting unless you believe in the talent. Like at best, I don't think Jarwin's higher than the number four target in this offense is the other problem. So it we'll see. I mean, could be a Gronk situation with inconsistency, but good games. But yeah, it's not something I'm like looking to get. I'm not really looking for Blake Jarwin. I don't think he ever exceeds the number four target in this offense this year. Uh, I'll move on to the New York Giants. Three questions here, of course. First one, what should we do with Saquon? And I recommend for maybe a more detailed explanation, you check out the Monday's podcast with Austin and I, where we talk about the NFC North and we talked Saquon news. I'm fading Saquon just a bit. I don't think Saquon sees the field till week three. 
which that's just my prediction. I'm not a doctor, but that's how I'm sort of playing it. And I don't know if he gets, I don't think he gets back to full RB one Saquon until about week six. I am taking Aaron Jones over him. I am taking Nick Chubb over him. I have Saquon Barkley as my RB eight currently. And I think he deserves a first round selection, but yeah, I mean, there's a case to be made that it should be in the very back of the first round for sure. There's seven are running backs that I would definitely feel more comfortable having at this moment. And it's unfortunate, but I don't, it appears as we were learning more information that this was always the Giants' plan to not, they were never going to guarantee that Saquon would be back week one because he may not be. And I mean, Joe Judge did come out with a quote that said Saquon could conceivably play in the preseason. I don't think he plays in the preseason. I don't see a reason for the team to put him in the preseason. I think the acclimation period will be not be more than a few weeks once he gets back. And I mean, despite what I'm trying to say is that even when he gets back, the acclimation period of about three or so weeks that I might predict isn't going to be Saquon's not playing. It'll be Saquon's giving you RB2 numbers. It'll be Saquon has a near full workload, but not quite full because this offense has other playmakers that they can use. They don't just need to rely on their just recently returned running back. So Saquon will be close to fully healthy by week one, but I think he may be held out a couple of weeks and keep in mind, they've got that Thursday night game week two. So if he sits week one, I would say he's out week two as well. So this is really the question of, do you expect him to miss a game? Because if you do, it's probably coming back week three. If you don't, then he yeah comes back week one. Um, well, how good can Kenny Galladay be? You guys know my thoughts on this one. Kenny Galladay can have a breakout close to the one that Stefan Diggs had last year. He can. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he could. And that justifies my wide receiver 11 ranking of him. Seems lofty for sure, but not when you consider the statistics. Daniel Jones on passes of 20-plus air yards last season, 19 for 39 for 636 yards, five touchdowns and no interceptions. The addition of the only other major wide receiver addition in this offseason other than Galladay is Kadarius Tony. Tony projects as a gadget guy for me, a guy that you want to get the ball in your hand, his hands to get speed, big plays. He's not going to be most consistently involved, especially in year one, but he will break a few screens to the house, take some end arounds, stuff like that. That's not a threat to Kenny Galladay's dominant target share that I would project him to see next year. This offense does not have a clear number one receiver. Daniel Jones is number one receiver last year. The guy who led the team in targets with 109 targets was Evan Ingram. This does not fit Daniel Jones's play style. Last year, he played a lot like a game manager. He was sort of tamping down on the um, the deep ball throws. The He didn't have the most deep attempts, as you could see. And he was just not chucking it up as often, being smarter with the football, which is a good thing. But with Galladay, we have a guy, a talented player, a talented contested catch guy who fits perfectly with Daniel Jones, to be quite honest. Daniel Jones has a great arm. Daniel Jones will put the ball where Galladay can get it. Daniel Jones was ranked the number one uh, highest graded next-gen stats deep ball passer in 2020. His completion percentage above expectation, which accounts for his weapons, was incredible. I believe it was a 14 plus 14.8 uh, completion percent completion percentage above expectation. That's an incredibly high stat for any quarterback, which shows that he was do, putting up these numbers with minimal receiving help, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, not the answer. Golden Tate um, also gone from the team right now. Um, but I mean, any the, the point is Kenny Galladay, I expect to see a dominant target share. He may not catch all of his targets. He may get 70, 80, hopefully 90 receptions, something like that. But 
what he'll be able to do with it. I expect him to be one of the league leaders in yards after catch yards per catch. Just in general, he could score a lot of touchdowns. He can be a red zone threat for on a goal line fade. I think Kenny Galladay has potential to have be the next Stephon Diggs where or close, not the next Stephon Diggs, but close because I think Diggs is the better receiver. Diggs is the better route runner um, where he gets an insane target share from a quarterback that is maybe a little bit questionable. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 that is, I mean, maybe a little bit questionable, but I think Daniel Jones also takes a major step up next year, which leads into the last question. Is Daniel Jones worth a late round flyer in fantasy football this year? And I say, yes, I think with what we've mentioned, Jones getting Galladay, Jones getting that explosive threat in Kadarius Tony. Don't Jones retaining all of his weapons except Devin Ingram and him hitting Saquon Barkley back means that a guy with this arm talent and keep in mind the fastest recorded run out of any quarterback last year with good rushing ability. So he gives you that bonus is worth late round flyer. I have Daniel Jones as my quarterback 16. Um, his consensus I know is lower than that at about 19 or 20. It is um, consensus QB 21, actually. So I would definitely recommend taking Daniel Jones in the late rounds. If you're doing late round quarterback strategy, this is one of the guys you can go get practically for free. I talked about this on another show recently, but on an ESPN mock draft, I went till rounds 13 and 14 without a quarterback round 13, Ryan Fitzpatrick round 14, Daniel Jones round 15 and 16 were my defense and kicker. And I ended the draft. Those were the only two quarterbacks I selected. And I was able to get Ryan Fitzpatrick, my quarterback 14, who I really love, who can air the ball out and get you some good weeks. And then Daniel Jones, these two guys can be matchup played and you'll be fine. Waiting on quarterback is the strategy. I'm fine going earlier for a Ryan Tannehill or a Tom Brady, but not earlier than that. That's not how I play. I won't get a Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott or a Lamar or anything like that. Um, I will wait. I will always wait on quarterback and I recommend you do too. Philadelphia Eagles. Speaking of late round quarterback targets, Jalen Hurts is currently my quarterback 12. And the question is, will Jalen Hurts have a breakout year? For fans, for real life football, I don't think Jalen Hurts necessary. I don't think Jalen Hurts has actually, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say, I mean, I don't think Jalen Hurts has a year on par to a Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson. I think he could. I think it's in his range of outcomes because dual threat quarterbacks have been so hard for the NFL defenses to handle. But I see something maybe closer to what we, I could definitely see something like we saw with Cam Newton last year where he had running upside, but threw a lot of interceptions, stuff like that. I think Jalen Hurts is a, could has the potential to be a better passer than Cam Newton because he's got a lot of talent and can throw the ball far. Um, I think he can be productive. I think he has top six fantasy potential, but the risk is really, really high. And for me, there's 11 quarterbacks at the top ending in like Joe Burrow at number 11 that I would really think can get you consistently really, really good fantasy numbers that I would take over Jalen Hurts. So Hurts, a risky proposition. You probably want to draft him with a guy like Fitzpatrick or Matthew Stafford, maybe Baker Mayfield, someone like that. Um, But yeah, I think he does have potential to have a breakout year. Next question. Should we fade Miles Sanders? Miles Sanders and Boston Scott having a pretty close to equal split of first team touches in free agents or in uh, training camp. This is concerning for me. I've bumped Miles Sanders down to my fantasy RB 21. And I think he could have a lot of success in this Jalen Hurts offense. And I think the Eagles will be very run heavy with Hurts and Sanders. But 
if Sanders becomes a two down back, which is my fear. And Boston Scott is used almost exclusively on third downs along with Kenneth Gainwell. It's not going to, it's going to give very, very limited upside for Sanders, which is why I have him as my RB 21. I am fading. I do have him as my RB 21, but I feel like he is a guy that I would usually pass on for like a wide receiver fantasy pros is consensus RB 19. I'm really scared for him. I don't, seal path for Miles Sanders to have a fantasy RB1 finish anymore. So it really doesn't make sense to draft him as an RB2 if there's literally no path for that to happen. And his floor is very, very low. He could finish behind maybe a Ronald Jones, a Javante Williams, um, maybe even a Mike Davis, although I don't think that'll happen because I just don't know if Davis will be productive for the full season and keep the job. But yeah, Sanders is just a, it's not fun, but he seems like a probably a two down back in some sort of a timeshare. It's really, again, not fun to think about, but it's, it seems to be the role he will be relegated to. And we've seen evidence of it. Um, maybe not as much. I mean, last year he was injured a lot, but like he still never really got quite got it going. It felt like last question for the Eagles. How high is Devonte Smith's potential? Here's a fun question we can talk about really, really high. I'm going to make a bold take about Devontae Smith in the next couple of weeks. I have him as my wide receiver 27 compared to a wide receiver 38 consensus ranking. Devontae Smith has all the opportunity in the world. With Jalen Hurts at the quarterback, I know he will run the ball a lot. But again, I said Jalen Hurts has some underrated arm talent. You saw the throws he made at Oklahoma and at Alabama in college. He will get the ball in Devontae Smith's hands. And the only other guy he has there to throw to is Dallas Goddard. I mean, I'm assuming Zach Ertz is either cut or has a limited role because he really struggled last year. Um, it's just going to be Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith. And I think Devontae Smith could step into the number one wide receiver role. There's a world here where Devontae Smith so far exceeds uh, the volume of a guy like Jamar Chase that he could potentially be better than Jamar Chase for fantasy football. I don't have it ranked that way. I have Smith 13 spots lower, but I would absolutely recommend you draft him because he has all the opportunity in the world and all the talent. And before you start complaining about Devontae Smith's injury, don't stop right there. Devontae Smith has missed, or I said Devontae Smith's injury, Devontae Smith's injury potential. Before you start complaining about, oh, he could get hurt. He's really light. Stop right there. Devontae Smith has missed two games in his entire college career. Devontae Smith hasn't missed a single game in the past two seasons while playing SEC competition. He has not suffered a major injury, showing that his playing weight, at least for now, is perfectly fine. I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. I think he established he's an outlier when he was the first wide receiver in nearly three decades since Desmond Howard to win the Heisman. Devontae Smith is an elite talent. He should have been drafted over Jalen Waddell. He is going to be really good in the NFL, and I don't think there's anything to be worried about uh, compared to any other receivers in terms of his injury potential. So I have him very, very high. He just even climbed my ranks a little bit recently. I just can't keep him down. He is such a good player um, to have for your fantasy football team. Um, All right, let's move on next. We're going to talk Washington football team before we wrap up. Can Terry McLaurin be a fantasy football wide receiver one? I think the question of whether he can, I mean, the answer to that is yes. Will he be a wide receiver one? I also say yes. He's actually my fantasy football wide receiver nine right now, which seems high, but then I remember that Michael Thomas got hurt. So he was technically my wide receiver 10 before that. But what Terry McLaurin is 
an elite fantasy is elite receiver. He has a great mold of route running where he can just consistently get open and he will be peppered with targets by Ryan Fitzpatrick, the maestro of throwing to the wide receiver one in, in the offense and throwing to him often. So I'm really excited to see what Terry McLaurin can do. I think he can and will be a fantasy wide receiver one. He will have a leading target share in the league and do a lot with it. With Curtis Samuel, with Antonio Gibson, with Logan Thomas, with Deami Brown and Adam Humphrey, suddenly this Washington football team has a lot more weapons. And Terry McLaurin won't be doubled at the rate that he was last year. He has bat- better quarterback play, better supporting cast, but he is still clearly the dominant wide receiver one. I mean, this offseason helped him so much. And it's, I mean, it in a different situation, maybe he won't wouldn't be as good, but I'm all in on Terry next year. My fantasy wide receiver nine. Fantasy Pros believes the hype as well. Their consensus wide receiver 11. So, yeah, I'm really hyped for Terry McLaurin next year. I think he can be a fantasy wide receiver one and has tons of potential. Next question, can Antonio Gibson have a breakout year? Also, yes, Antonio Gibson showed last year before he got injured the ability to potentially be a fantasy football workhorse. He was elusive. He was physical. He got turf toe and then he couldn't cut the same. And that's why he didn't look the same. And he didn't have that same first step. Didn't get to the line as quickly. Didn't fight for extra yards as much. But now, I mean, what they're saying, Gibson's turf toe, not fully gone away, but other than some soreness on long days is what him and Ron Rivera said. That's all that's going on right now. So I am back and all in on Antonio Gibson, my fantasy football RB 10. I think he's worthy of a pick at the one, two turn. He has top six upside. He is a running back receiver hybrid who is always getting better and better and exceeded everyone's expectations as a runner. He is an incredible athlete, so dynamic. And yeah, I think he can have a breakout year and be a workhorse in this offense. And he will become a three-down bell cow. That's what the team has expressed intent to do. He will take over from J.D. McKissick, or not not necessarily completely take over, but take over most of the reception workload. He'll be great. Last question. How is Logan Thomas affected by the offseason transactions? And I wish I could say Logan Thomas is going to be great too, but I mean, you can't please everyone for fantasy in this offense. And I don't think Logan Thomas is a guy that I am not. I think uh, he's a guy that I am slowly in fading further and further away from in my fantasy drafts. I don't see it. Logan Thomas we know he's going to work on his vertical threat ability, but very few tight ends have the ability to be a consistent vertical threat. And if you're not a vertical threat, I feel like you're not going to be favored by Ryan Fitzpatrick in this offense. We already established how good Terry McLaurin's going to be. We already established that Curtis Samuel is a factor in this offense. Uh, he can catch deep balls and get manufactured touches. We know he will. Diami Brown, such a great field stretcher as well. Adam Humphreys and Ryan Fitzpatrick have a great rapport. Antonio Gibson's going to demand re- receptions. J.D. McKissick will get his. There's just not enough space for Logan Thomas, the guy who operated as a security blanket for bad quarterback play. Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to need Logan Thomas as much. Uh, and it's, he's going to suffer for fantasy. He'll have some good games, but he's just not going to be have that consistent target share that made him so good. At tight end 10 price, I am not taking that for next year. I currently have him as my fantasy tight end 17. I'm out on Logan Thomas, which is kind of a flip from where I used to be earlier in the offseason, but analyzing these moves even more made me really concerned. I'm out on Logan Thomas. That wraps up the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, to, I guess this is the second solo show I've ever done on the podcast. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Calvin underscore SGF. 
podcast at SGF pod live show at SG sports talk and subscribe to second goal sports talk on YouTube. Uh, thank you for listening and uh, we will see you next week and we'll see you next time. We got more, two more shows next week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. NFC South and NFC West got a good guest for one of those shows as well. So check it out. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.